The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Welcome to the Brandon Peters Show. In the beginning of a series, we're calling The Summer of 82 at 40. A weekend by weekend look at the movies released during the summer of that year. And joining me for this journey, I'm very happy to have from Forbes, Scott Mendelson. Hello. Lovely to be here once again. Yes. And if you like Scott, you I hope you like Scott because he's going to be around for the next. So many weeks as we journey through weekend by weekend, the summer of 1982. So let's, I'm going to talk, we're going to open up this one talking about this project. So this is an idea I had because I I turned 40 this year. And also 1982 was a pretty big summer at the movies. Uh, A lot of seminal titles came out that year and they're also all turning 40. And I think I thought it'd be a cool idea to kind of take a trip through weekend by weekend, seeing what's coming out, the movies, kind of what's going on in news and pop culture through that weekend and just taking a week by week glance, see how the box office worked back then and how the movie going public behaved, what they thought and what are the movies they were watching. Because you may know some of the staples that came out that summer, like E.T. is the summer of E.T., but there are some, like all three this week, uh, that you probably forgot, never heard of, didn't know existed, and, and guess what? They're kind of hard to find, but we're going to do our best to power through them. Scott, in 82, were you turning one or two years old then? I turned. I was born April 2nd, 1980. 80, so yes. So I turned two just before the quote-unquote summer of 1982 began. Which... To be fair, summer then it wasn't summer now. So where we're starting here, because our summer is going to go along with what is the current box office summer. They, they kind of the big ones kind of held a little later than normal, though. I think it kind of you could say there's an official starter in our next episode, Scott. Around '82, where was the summer season probably beginning for a studio? You know, contrary to what I've always believed, it was, I mean, there usually was a big or potentially big picture, you know, basically the week weekend before Memorial Day, which isn't that much earlier than what started now, mm-hmm. with the exception of, you know, the periodically when, you know, Fast Five or Avengers Infinity War opens in, you know, late April. Generally speaking, the summer season as we know it used to start the weekend before Memorial Day weekend. So you had... You know, you had uh, Maverick, and then over Memorial Day weekend, you had the Flintstones. And that was, you know, or, uh, you know, Hot Shards Part Deux and uh, Sliver. And then Memorial Day weekend, Super Mario Brothers and Cliffhanger. Um, <laughs> that was summer of 93. And, you know, it, 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 it's, and there are some, you know, 
years where it went even earlier than that. You had the first weekend in May of 1995, you had French Kiss, which was sold as mm. the summer starter. And then the next weekend, you had Crimson Tide. The next weekend, you had Die Hard with a Vengeance. And then you had Memorial Day weekend with Casper, Braveheart, and Mad Love, uh, a romantic melodrama with Chris O'Donnell and Drew Barrymore, both of whom would star in Batman Forever a month later. Generally speaking, the summer of 1996 is when we first started seeing officially the summer starting in the first full weekend of May. Uh, that was with Warner Brothers releasing Twister to a near record $41 million over its first three days. That was in the top five of all time at the time. Um, and that was two weekends before uh, Mission Impossible opened over Memorial Day weekend in 1996. Since then, generally speaking, you've had a big movie or the, you know, the summer starter opening uh, basically two weekends before Memorial day weekend, the big, you know, Spider-Man in 2002, Iron Man in 2008, Gladiator in 2000, and the, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Or you know, obvious example, apologies, the mummy in 1999 opening two weeks before actually three weeks before Memorial day, because in that case, the big mega movie was Star Wars The Phantom Menace, which opened the weekend before Memorial Day weekend. Um, and not to get ahead of myself, but that started sort of a, a trend, in my opinion, positioning the weekend before Memorial Day weekend as the best slot on the calendar, mm -hmm. period. Because that's where you had all three Star Wars prequels, The Matrix Reloaded, all, th all four Shrek films, John Wick 3, Deadpool 2, etc., etc., etc. And what would generally happen is you'd have a big, big opening weekend, and then the, what otherwise would be a larger second weekend drop would be mitigated by the Memorial Day holiday, especially for family films. Gotcha, yeah. Um, and a bonus day, yeah. Yeah. Weekend. So, you know, looking at the calendar, not to spoil next week's episode but Conan the Barbarian opened on May 14th 1982 mm -hmm. and that was by 1982 standards I would argue a big summer picture right yeah that's, yeah that's what I'd say like yeah next week we have what could be more the start picture than what we have and then you know it's 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 the 21st is Road Warrior and then the 28th Memorial Day weekend is Rocky 3 gotcha so yeah and as you can see powerhouse movies that people still talk about and worship to this day none of which opening on the first weekend of may no no where we're at so uh, a little a little of disclaimer here when you're listening us to us right now it's it's may we're recording in january we have no idea what the film landscape's going to look like in this uh and if you're listening in the way future we're still in the pandemic and things change and so we probably are, well, we're not going to be referencing what's going on right now. Um, we have no idea when we're doing this. We're focused on 1982. You yourself probably are aware of what's going on. We at this time are not. We don't even know what the world is going to be like. And then, but so that's where we're going to be at. And those I you, can't believe Robert Pattinson died at the end of the Batman. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt stepping in, being like, this was my job anyway. <laughs> As Cooper Commander. That was yeah. a real twist. Lot, lots of memes with that line in there. You know, this is my job anyway. Coming, There was a Jay, Jay Leno and Conan meme that said, this is my job anyway. That was, oh man, I'm making old that jokes. Was the, that was the best pop culture memes since So Dark the Cod of Man. It was, it was, yes. Man, 
15 were so, years ago. Wait, seven, 16 years ago. 16 years ago. Um, so, and those of you who listen to my show and we have, you know, episodes that will focus on a movie and it's like an hour long show talking about the movie. These are not going to be those type of reviews. These are going to be a little bit whifter reviews with Scott and I uh, giving sort of just off the cuff talks about these movies. And there is a chance that many of these may get covered on a later episode of the show. So those are some things uh, that are here. Uh, we're kind of going over the weekend in general, the the landscape, uh, all that stuff. And I'm kind of excited to, to dig in. But let's first take a look at what was going on in the world this week. It's the news of the moment. This is no time for politi- or politics, I should say, as usual. There are too many people hurting. Thanks for listening. And God bless you. The May 7th to 9th weekend of the box office. But during that week, Ronald Reagan began five-minute weekly radio broadcasts. I, I don't remember them. I wasn't listening to the radio. I was just months old. The NHL Stanley Cup, or uh, well, not the Stanley Cup, the playoffs were going on. And the conference finals in the Prince of Wales conference final, New York Islanders beat the Quebec Nordiques four games to zero. And the NHL Clarence Campbell conference final, the Vancouver Canucks beat the Chicago Blackhawks four games to one. I'm putting it in there in case guests of the show, Stephen Chapansky's listen. I got your hockey for you. Right say, there. That's a lot more hockey than I was expecting in this podcast. Right, right. Um, <laughs> uh, other sports news, Seattle Mariner Gaylord Perry becomes the 15th pitcher to win 300 games. Uh, IBM released... PC DOS version 1.1. Oh, here we go. U.S. performs nuclear test at Nevada test site. Hmm. Awesome. Um. Uh, <laughs> and, and in theater news, Arthur Kopitz Musical 9 premiered in New York City. So that's what was going on in the, the United States or Canada during during this time. It's 20, 27 years or 26 years later would inspire a terrible, terrible Rob Marshall movie. Right, right. That's true. That's true. The nine with a uh, thespian, Daniel Day Lewis. All right. So uh, let's head on to our first movie. It's bigger than the Indy 500. Grander than the Grand Prix. Get ready. Get set. Go! For the most outrageous road race of them all. Real Bird Reynolds. You know what I'm talking about? Safari 3000. Longer, faster, and as dangerous as Africa can make it. <laughs> can two impossible people handle racing's most incredible challenge? I'm your navigator, not your wife. Three days of treacherous terrain. Coming through! And unforeseen obstacles. You any idea where we are? Like I'll see a spurg. Berg and the Murph, and the mist, all this fucking mist. It's 93 of the world's craziest competitors. Oh, my God. Safari 3000, it's the thrill of victory and the agony of making the wrong turn. No more, Mr. Nice Guy. David Carradine and Stalker Channing in Safari 3000, the race that drove Africa wild. (laughs) 
And I'm going to say, Scott, we talk about this. You and I have talked about this for a long time. It's in your writings a lot. I would call this weekend of the three movies we're going to talk about a prime example of all three of them, rip off, don't remake. Yes, I would agree. This is what we we have a prime example of. Uh, We're going to go with the first movie. It's going to be Safari 3000, which has an indeterminate release date in this month. But this would... uh, this lightens the load on another week uh, and makes this one a little bit fuller of a week for an episode. So, the, And also, send in your corrections. If you know dates where things might have gone better, let us know. I, I'm doing my best research here to find out an accurate schedule. It's not easy. I thought it would be easy. It's not easy to find out uh, where these were. I'm trying to juggle between limited release, wide release, and sometimes they list when it just had a premiere or screened at a festival. I'm trying my best to keep it wide release, but there are some limited ones. We'll figure it out. All you Paradise 3000 fans, you hold our feet to the fire. Right. Safari 3000, Scott. Sorry, shit. You I just missed the two titles. Uh, this God was, damn it. This was directed. <laughs> oh, this, so this movie came out at some point in May of 1982. Uh, it's uh, directed by Harry Hurwitz, starring Stockard Channing, David Carradine, and Christopher... Lee, it's our first of two Let's Add a Monkey to It movies this month or this weekend. Uh, that was a thing that happened a lot back in the day. Like, yeah, throw a monkey in there. It's boring. Something like that. Scott, first reaction to Safari 3000. It was interesting seeing Christopher Lee in a more overtly comic performance. Mm-hmm. He is kind of sort of the villain, but not really. I mean, it's, it's not that kind of movie. It struck me in the first act as a lot like the first Crocodile Dundee. Okay. We have this big city career woman who's a journalist who sort of ends up. She writes for Playboy. Fashion. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, I only read for the articles. So that works. Right. You know, sort of uh, being embedded with a, a somewhat ma- you know rugged man of whatever. Mm-hmm. In this case, it's Carradine's, you know, drag racer or whatever. But I, you know, the, by virtue of the film being about a big race, it does kind of play in the, the Smokey and the Bandit type territory. Scott, I was Cannibal Run. Yeah, I felt Sorry, like they were they were I going meant. for a Cannibal Run here. That's yeah, yeah. It's fine in the sense that it's something that I I'll be honest, I had never heard of it until no, it was, same here. Um, it's available in segments on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I did not check to see if it was able to rent anywhere, but. I'm sure it is. No, <laughs> I, I couldn't find it. Okay. Then, yeah, I don't feel, yeah. then I don't feel bad recommending the YouTube version. And yeah, it's a relic of a bygone era. Mm-hmm. As I imagine a lot of films we're going to be discussing are. Right. It, just a movie. It has a quirky high concept. It has well-known actors that weren't necessarily butts and seats stars, mm-hmm. but were marquee draws back when people went to the movies just to go to the movies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a... Yeah, it, it, it like I would say now we're like, oh, it's a Christopher Lee movie, but back then it was probably Stockard Channing and yes. Carradine drawing them in. Yeah, she is she is the dominant focal point on the poster, mm-hmm. and this is four years after Greece. Yeah. yeah, I I personally I this this is probably my favorite movie of a weekend. A uh, weekend I'm not too uh, crazy on all of them, but Christopher Lee. It was definitely a high point of this movie because he is just, he's camping it up to a high degree that only he could pull off. He's got a mustache, it, like this costume, a helmet. They call him the Count. He's just deliciously eating every line up, even if he doesn't want to be in this movie or not. <laughs> Carradine's 
passable. Stalker Channing is always enjoyable. She's got just charisma off the charts, so she can pull a thing. One thing, I, it, there's a decent stun or two, but the racing's kind of like par for times like this, so there's nothing stand out about the the race. There, it, I think it's there to be like, ooh, look at all these exotic animals in Africa, because that's where they, they go to do this uh, race of sorts with cars. And there's just... Comedic hijinks, things like that. Yes, smoking the bandit type vibe, cannibal run, these car people like watching people driving cars back then, just hitting the road, traveling around. That was a that was a thing. Um, this is probably more of a seventies relic than something that would be big in the eighties. But it's something it probably hit a lot of drive in double bills. Probably would Yeah, yeah but probably, it's a B picture. Yeah, definitely a B picture. Uh but you know what? It, it was, it was okay enough compared, you know, I watched it third of the movies, so it kind of felt like a reward <laughs> as from, from what we got else coming through as well. But uh, Safari 3000, yeah, uh, not not going to highly recommend, but if you're listening to this show and you're curious, this would be the one I'd tell you to check out from this, this episode. Critics agree. It's fine. Christopher Lee, yeah. it's it's <laughs> If you're a Christopher Lee fan, this is something... I would tell you to check out. Get ready for fun. I christen the the flying walk. It's the snubs <laughs> versus the slobs. He's inane. Oh, I didn't do that. He's insane. Stop. He's a snob. How would you like to mow my lawn? And he's a slob. Tell a cook this is low-grade dog food, all right? Dog food? And they're turning this country club into a nuthouse. Hey, my buddy! It's the clash of the classes, and the rules are off when these clowns compete on surf and turf to be the most sophisticated. Let's pretend we're real human beings. Please go first! To be the most fashionable. Well, you buy a hat like this, I'll let you get a free bowl of soup. Eh? And the most gracious. Oh, it looks good on you, though. The qualities that can turn a respectable country club into a caddy shack. You will never be a member here. Do you think I'd join this crummy snobatorium? Chevy Chase, Ted Knight, Bill Murray, and Rodney Dangerfield. The last time I saw a mouth like that, I had a hook. In Caddy Shack, next... Before we go to the next movie, let's hit up what was going on in TV land during this week. Uh, the top 10 for the Nielsen ratings uh, for the week going from Monday through Sunday. So ending on the Sunday where the box office ends. The top watched program of that week was the TV premiere of Caddyshack on CBS. That's what Americans tuned into uh, watch Bill Murray and Chevy Chase and all the Rodney Dangerfield, but that's—I mean—that wouldn't happen now. Nobody's gonna—they're like, ah, I just watch that on net. Like, no one's gonna watch. The CBS tried to bring this thing back during uh, the pandemic. I don't know if the ratings went good beyond like the initial weekend, but not to my knowledge. Yeah, I mean, you know, d- 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 up until maybe twenty years ago, you know. Network premieres of big theatrical movies were a big deal. Yeah, because uh, like there was James Bond contingent. movies. That's how I watched yeah. plenty of them. Yeah, I mean there there was there was a contingent of of television viewers who either didn't see the film when it was generally speaking, a film would come out in theaters. Mm-hmm. Six months later, it would be on video. Although we're getting ahead of ourselves because it's 1982, so that, even that wasn't really on the table. No, yeah, it was barely. Um, yeah, it was new. There was still a fact, format was HBO war. Even it's coming. It HBO, HBO, HBO's either right around this time or within the next year. But at this time, there's Betamax, VHS, and CED, 
and they're all not cost friendly for to yeah. be in the family home. It's so, not until the late '80s that VHS becomes a prime source. So when Caddyshack premieres on television in May of 1982, it's probably the first chance that people have had to see it since theaters. Mm-hmm. Ergo, it is something of a big deal. Right. And even, you know, flash forward 10 years, you know, in the 1990s, when you have other tiers of revenue, other tiers of exposition, exhibition, you have theaters. Then six months later, you get video. Six months after that, about a year after theater, you get the premium debut, HBO, Showtime, what have you. And then between two and a half and three years after theater, you get the network television premiere. Right. Which could sometimes be beaten to the punch by cable, maybe maybe a year earlier. Mm-hmm. But at first, network and cable will get it about the same time or network will get it first. And it would be a big deal. It'd be, you know, tonight, the broadcast network premiere of Batman. Yeah. Before you see the sequel, come back how it all started. Boom, 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 boom. And it would be, you know, a big deal, relatively speaking. Yeah. And people that saw it in theaters and maybe even saw it on VHS and maybe watched it on HBO, they would still watch it on TV, mm-hmm. even with commercials, even with edited for content and in full screen. And because it was still, you know, it was still a big deal. I mean, it's, 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 it's I, I cannot overestimate how different it was back when we were kids. Yeah, no, it's way different. Uh, and you would tape it off TV and then you'd have your copy and stuff yeah. like that. And sometimes the VHS wait would be a year. That was yeah. that was a that was how long it would take, and HBO that people would tape it off HBO. You get HBO for that, and uh, yeah, there there was also a thing with the TV versions that there were scenes because of cut for time and re-edits. You get deleted scenes in the movie because they had to they didn't fill enough of the time to or to make, make it two hour make, slot. Two hour slot. So. Halloween, notoriously known because they shot extra scenes for it. The movie Earthquake has a whole subplot that got added later. And King Kong, uh, the 1970s one, has a completely extended version of that movie. And they would go reshoot things. They would add stuff. They'd re-edit. There's a lot of different versions, and they're fun to look at now because of what they did back then. And for some movies, and this was a lot rarer for obvious reasons, they'd like... Add a whole crap load of deleted scenes, right? And make a three-hour cut. They play over two nights, yeah. With uh, Superman the movie and Waterworld are the two obvious examples mm-hmm. of that. Uh, the Godfather got a, a yeah, whole the new Godfather cut. saga, mm-hmm. yeah, where they play the first two Godfather films in chronological order with some deleted scenes thrown in, mm-hmm. and they would show that for like a you know almost an entire week, yeah. Because those are long movies. They are long. Um, movies. Yeah, you get it in two parts too. Some of yeah. them would be. Friday night and or it'd be Sunday yeah. night and Monday or Tuesday night, depending if they uh, the network was competing with Monday night football or not. Yeah, and and I first saw Halloween on network television. Yeah. And I was very confused when I rented the VHS a few years later. And <laughs> wait a minute, there's a scene between the prologue and the the, the sanitarium. I remember it. There's <laughs> young Michael and Pleasance is monologuing, and I really liked it. What the hell is going on here? Yeah, it's crazy. And then I uh, like I didn't know about that until later on yeah. uh, with the internet. And so I'd always watched it on VHS because I owned it. So I would go back and tape television recordings of it till I got someone who showed that cut. Yeah. And so I, I would have those scenes. But yeah, it's really the, the world of the TV movie and the network premiere of a theatrical movie were so different in this time. 
Uh, it's, it's just fascinating. There's some good made-for-TV movies that would come out during this time as well. Uh, uh, there is a pretty comprehensive book on that called, I believe it's called, Are You Alone in the House? Yes, yes. That came out a couple uh, years been out maybe five. Has it been out yeah. like five years ago? Yes, yeah, someone... Uh-huh. <laughs> Something like that. I want to say like a couple years ago, but yeah. it could have been longer. Rounding out our top 10 here for uh, the, the week, we have Dynasty came in at second place from ABC. TV censored bloopers from NBC. Now we just get gag reels on DVDs. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four, Too Close for Comfort on ABC. Three's Company, fifth place, ABC. Uh, the Facts of Life was number six on NBC. Uh, number seven, Heart to Heart came in from ABC. Guess what? Number eight is MASH. On CBS. Um, I don't know if it's a new one or a rerun. MASH would just dominate. Uh, at number nine, Inside the Third Reich Part 1, airing on ABC. Uh, and number 10, Battle of the Network Stars on ABC. That was the top 10 television programs for the week of, well, the, for the weekend of the 7th, uh, the week that came, preceded our box office. Of all the billions of planets in space, only one is off limits to man. Forbidden World. Touch down on Forbidden World, where explorers discover an unimaginable horror. Part alien, part human, all nightmare. It lives on Forbidden World, and next it's coming for you. Forbidden World, a science fiction shocker. Rated R under 17, not admitted without parent. It's a Roger Corman film directed by Alan Holtzman, who would go on to win Emmys as editor of Spielberg's Survivors of the Holocaust. Man, I segued that third Reich, that Reich thing into that. There we go. Uh, it was uh, one of the writers on it was Jim Wynorski, who would um, forever has awesome stuff because he did Death Stalker Two uh, and a lot of other like uh, chopping mall things like that. Um, and R.J. Robertson, chopping mall, chopping mall, so good. <laughs> Collaborated with Wynorski a lot, uh, starring June Chadwick, Jesse Vint, Don Dunlap, and Michael Bowen. So we're in the ripoff, don't remake. This is ripoff Alien, don't mm-hmm. remake it, and sprinkle in some Star Wars. And this is your your Corman cashing in. There are space battles from other movies of his, like Galaxy of Terror, uh, Beyond the Stars. They're reusing sets. Uh, someone who worked on the film said like the only thing that wasn't used from some previous production were the jumpsuits that Don Dunlap and June Chadwick wore. <laughs> the Corman thing. Uh, I kind of enjoyed this one, oddly enough. It's not it's I all mean, right. It's all right. Watching it, you know, again very casually, you know, not for any deep dive whatever. It's a million dollar picture. It was obviously very cheap bargain basement, but compared to most modern films, it looks so colorful. Yeah, it looks so lively <laughs> and tangible, mm-hmm. and I don't mean to you know be you know market boy day, blah, 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 blah. but there really is something missing from a lot of big studio movies today. Mm-hmm. To say nothing of the streaming stuff, that's a whole different conversation. When you watch something like this, that by all rights is is Z grade whatever, but if it it's it's alive, yeah. and I actually enjoyed watching it. And I'm curious, have you seen the bigger budgeted 1990 remake? A Forbidden World? No. Because now I want to, because I kind of, I almost enjoyed this yeah. one. Yeah, this one's, yeah, not, it's all right. I watched this one actually twice during it because I didn't pay the closest attention the first time I did. And I was like, you know, I did watch it again. You didn't I, miss anything. No, I, I, I will say one thing I think the difference we talk about, 
things are and the digital world of things are making things flatter in our and less yeah. colorful in what our films look like it's just film is just lending digital is still on its way of getting there that's the thing uh but the colors just render better and the, uh, movies back then weren't afraid to be like sexual about things and that's it makes it have a pulse a bit yeah uh, and this one is like hey we need some we need some aliens some hot girls that get naked and uh, some gory kills. Like that's the one, two, three that this movie's selling. And it, it doesn't, it's not ashamed of it. Uh, the only thing no, it's ashamed of is it's trying to hide that it doesn't have money. There's a lot of close in shots. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of dark rooms. It's all very, you know, by design, this should be a claustrophobic movie that it's, it yes. should be. I thought, I thought the gore was really good for as cheap as this thing was. There's like a, melted dead body thing and there's all sorts of things that and they they cut around the monster good enough that it looked fine it looked like venom looked yeah, like an, I mean, an you know, alien and venom put mixed together you, you do see a quote-unquote final monster in this picture and even though you know obviously they're hiding how little they had to work with it's scary <laughs> mm-hmm. like oh that's 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 effective yeah i i got you know in a good way it reminded me of and I is the title from beyond. Yeah. The, okay, the, yeah. uh, yeah. Um, the other, Stuart Gordon, the not Stuart the Gordon, but the other one. Yeah. Stuart Gordon one with, uh, Ken Foray in the, yes, uh, yes. orange tidy whiteies. Yes. That movie. Yeah. Um, in that, you know, it's, it, it's as cheap as it is. I mean, the practical gore effects are effective. You know, you mm-hmm. get what you're paying for, even right. though you're probably not paying much. And it's funny. Cause it reminded me of the, you know, in summer 2020, when we were all you know stuck at home and, Nothing was coming out. Mm-hmm. You know, I got pretty tired pretty quickly of low budget, single location, haunted house VOD movies about trauma. Right. Which were good. And it's, 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 but you know, it's, it's, I found myself very much uh, yearning for something bigger. So I started tracking down a lot of bigger budgeted, you know, outer space horror movies that I hadn't seen. Gotcha. Stuff like Life Force, stuff like Life uh, Force was awesome. I oh, love yeah, that, that one. Was I love that. Oh, that was forty million dollars back in the eighties. It's funny. My my wife Wendy, she burned out on those so badly that she still refuses to watch Event Horizon. Oh, which is the one that I was sort of holding for the end because that was the good one. Well, at least she got Life Force. The, the, <laughs> the practical and matte painting work on like something like Life Force, like yeah. a year from like. That's my kind of space, I guess. They can yeah. go do your digital stuff, but that that stuff haunts me, like looking at a matte painting more than anything digital does. But you know, um, but no, and I, I try not to be boohoo digital, blah blah blah. But you know, it's, it's if it's done well, it's done well. Yeah. But part of it is just the simple fact that when you're watching something from the 1980s, they had to make almost generally speaking, they had to make it up as they went along. Right. It is obviously a skill set to make that stuff on a computer, mm-hmm. but. It's still, it was made in a computer. Right. And you you don't know if what you're seeing is real and tangible in a way that you do when you're watching something from a bygone era. Yeah. It's not fair. Right. But, so yeah, when I watch something like Forbidden, I forgot the title of this movie. Forbidden World. World? Forbidden, Forbidden World. World. I'm going to say Forbidden Zone, that's something else. Um, and Forbidden Planet is also something Yes, else. also. 
um, Forbidden Daycare was fun. I enjoyed that one. That was a good one. Yeah, um, yeah. The, yeah. It 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 works on its own very respective level, and knowing what I was getting into, I was actually kind of impressed by how much value I got out of it. Yeah, I mean, it's a not a bad little Corman cheapie. There's much yeah. worse. There's much worse. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Corman is a blind spot for me. Okay. Are are most of them this quote unquote good, or did I just happen to pick a one that would actually look like they actually made its billion dollar budget go somewhere? Well, if you watch too many of them close, you're gonna recognize stuff. You're gonna recognize yeah. like sets. You're gonna recognize yeah. like, scenes. You're gonna recognize yeah. like special effects. Like so. Space them out. Um, Battle Beyond the Stars isn't bad. It's like Seven Samurai in space. It's actually yeah. one of his... That's the picture that kind of launched him into keeping knockoff things. I think Star Crash is a riot with Carolyn Monroe. That was his Star Wars attempt. Yeah. Some of their sword and sandals uh, ones are okay, but those reuse a lot of footage too. But his stuff is always tangible, and I think the effects at least aren't afraid to be what they are. That's, that's yeah. a, whether they succeed or not, whether it's a monster costume or someone getting bludgeoned or something like that, they, they're not afraid to be honest and go for it. That's, that's kind of a thing. Uh, but yeah, I, I, this was a, this is a better one. It also has some like June Chadwick. She was in things. She was in like V and things like that. Uh, Michael Bowen. So pretty, pretty decently handled one, but yeah, like Corman, I, I don't think all his stuff's bad. And I, the thing I love about what Corman did and he brought brought us like Joe Dante people like that is he's the real test and this is why I have a affinity for like slasher movies of the 80s and stuff is because these filmmakers are put to the test you're given no money not enough to probably make this thing and you're not getting any more what are you going to do with it and you find out who's really good at what they do and who's going to who knows how to improvise the best? Who knows how to make the best, uh, the worst? I mean, you get Coppola from Corbin. Yeah. You get you get all these like people, and Cameron. I think James Cameron did stuff for Corman too. Like he did. these people know how to turn like. And I think honestly, James Wan, Lee Wanell are the modern day. They would have worked great with Corman yeah. because the thing I love best about those two, they can make three dollars look like a hundred million dollar picture. And there yeah. are there are hundred fifty dollar hundred fifty million dollar pictures that don't look like they cost that and don't play as well as their little five million dollar movies. I mean, you know, the incredible Invisible Man looks amazing for it what does, they yeah. spent on that. They didn't spend anything. A malignant probably looks expensive. Three times. Yeah. Well, that was forty million bucks, but it looks it. Yeah. yeah. But like, you know, Invisible Man looks like it cost triple what it did. Right. Right. And that's um, that's what I love about those guys. Like yeah. they. They can make they'll get you'll get every bit of the dollar you spent on it. Like that's yeah, that's what I like about it. But yeah, uh, yeah, Forbidden Planet. Uh, if you're looking for something schlocky, something gory, something t- just, Forbidden World, uh, Forbidden World, Forbidden World. The other one I'm sending <laughs> you to Leslie. You're like, oh, Leslie Nelson. <laughs> this looks older than 1982. Now here's Casey Kasem. Well, thank you, Charlie Tuna. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to America's Top Ten. Let's turn right to the action on the Billboard Pop Singles Chart and check out the 10 biggest hits this week. Uh, Let's talk about Casey Kasem's weekly top 40, but only the 10. I'm not going through all uh, 40 of them. So this week on the top 10, number 10 was Did It in a Minute by Hall & Oates. Coming in, it was previously, uh, previous week was number 11. I've Never Been Me by Charlene. Uh, Number 865 Love Affair by Paul Davis. 
Number seven, we got the beat from the Go Go's. Number six, eight six seven five three zero nine Jenny, or that's forward slash Jenny, uh, by Tommy Two Tone. Uh, number five, Freeze Frame by the Jay Giles Band. Number four, Don't Talk to Strangers by Rick Springfield. So yes, he had more than Jesse's girl, folks. Number three. <laughs> I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts was the previous week's number one. It got bumped down two spots. Number two, Ebony and Ivory by Paul McCartney with Stevie Wonder and the number one song for the, this this weekend, ending uh, uh, week ending the 8th or the 9th. Scott, do you have a guess? Do you know what it is? Has Thriller come out yet? I don't think so. Then, uh... That's going to suck if it comes out in the summer and that's like every week, number one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have to look that up, but it actually did. Oh, okay. So, number one, do you have a you have a guess? Uh, I don't. It is Chariots of Fire titles by Vangelis. That is amazing. I, I can't... What, what, I mean, I remember like what Duel of the Fates top pretty yeah, high on the billboards, but it. I mean, I, I, you say so, I have no idea. I, I, I wasn't aware of any instrumental score pieces that did that well. But obviously, there's you know songs from the movie, you know, all yeah. of them in the eighties and nineties. But the score, but, like the score, a, a segment of the score, like I imagine huh. that being a thing back in like the forties or something like that. Yeah, but, like, that's shocking. Charity. Even a, even a piece of score like that that you know single-handedly propelled the film to Best Picture. But I think I mean people I know like it. the movie, but it's the music that makes that film remotely memorable. But they don't they don't like usually sell those as singles. That's the yeah. weird thing. So I think that's, that's just weird. something like yeah, Van Jealousy would do uh, Blade Runner, which comes out later this summer too. So yeah, that's just yeah, that's a really interesting number one. A boy. A girl, a man obsessed, a battle, a death, a wilderness, rivers, sands, desert streams, fear, rage, survive, and dream. The birth of love, a newfound life, man, woman, paradise. Rated R starts Friday, May 7th at a theater near you. And what didn't get number one this weekend the big new release for may 7th 1982 paradise which uh is directed by directed and written by Stuart gilliard the director of teenage mutant ninja turtles 3 rocket man and a ton of cw shows and stars phoebe cates william ames and a monkey any which way you can yes that's her <laughs> not not hopefully not in this movie this 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 is the uh blue lagoon knockoff for this week this is the ripoff island of blue lagoon with phoebe cates in her first movie she'll don't worry folks she'll make up for this with fast times at ridgemont high later at the end like the end of this this summer and Ames, he does zapped later on in the summer too but uh this is her debut she was 17 filming this so that must be the age of consent for boobs and butt on film in 1982? Or, I'm not Googling that. Or were they going off of the, well, when it comes out, she'll be 18? Perhaps. 
Cates was uh, notably uh, unhappy with this film and refused to promote or have anything to do with it. Uh, was upset by the amount of nudity added after she had approved uh, the cut of the film. And it, a lot of it, there was reshot with body doubles, too. So be careful which Phoebe Cates scene you're checking her out for because it might not be her. And uh, it landed a worst actor nomination for William Ames who was nominated, double nominated for this and Zapped, uh, which he lost to Lawrence Olivier. And uh, the... Lawrence Olivier and what? Uh, Inchon or Incon? Inchon? Oh, it, fair enough. Yeah. That's what he, that's what he won for those uh, Razzie Awards, which I don't typically care about, but someone might enjoy that factoid. <laughs> the title track for this one uh, was the number two best-selling single in Italy for 1982, which was sung by Phoebe Cates. This movie... When people talk about stuff that wouldn't be able to get made today, yep. usually they're full of crap. This absolutely would not be able to get made today. Right, right. For two reasons. A, the glorified near-statutory rape subplots which you have a very lustful and nudity-filled relationship between two teenagers. Mm -hmm. B, the entire plot involves two wholesome white teenagers whose parents get horribly murdered by swarthy Arabs who want to sell her, at least, into sexual slavery, and her hunky white, not-quite boyfriend has to protect her through the course of the movie. Who happens to look just like the Blue Lagoon kid. Yeah. (laughs) and this movie like this guy this the guy that wants to put her into like sex trafficking basically old school sex trafficking like he just will not give up like that's the plot of this movie is this guy just i must have this woman to sell to men like he can't get over it doesn't he want to keep her for himself oh i don't know i just thought he was like i think there's a line where he wants to keep that's why he keeps going oh. after her oh because okay. there there is a line where it's like you know you won't make any less money from one missing girl it's like some effect of i want her for myself it's like gotcha i mean i i get it yeah but you know yeah not a good film no i mean aside from the quote-unquote problematic areas it's just not a good picture yeah yeah it it's... reminded me of another film that i'm not crazy about Walt Disney's A Far Off Place which came out in 1993 mm-hmm. which has far less sex and nudity I assure you it's about a brother and sister whose parents are murdered by poachers mm. and they have to flee basically by themselves across the desert and no no they're not brother and sister okay. their parents are friends because they do have a very chaste romance along the way okay it was one of those films that I saw at a young age when I was 13 when I was just starting to realize the difference between you know a good movie and a bad movie right that makes sense. And there were other films that I had seen before then that, you know, you know, I was 11. I was old enough to know that Hook was disappointing and Secret of the Ooze was lousy. Gotcha. But so anyway, yeah, this reminded me of a bad film that I didn't like that I saw was 13. Mm-hmm. And it's it's exactly what you think it is from the synopsis. Yeah, it's um, Blue Lagoon in the desert. Yeah. And not a um, well-filmed desert. And no, just, it's, 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 it's... Again, I, I don't want to be a prude, but... There's nothing else to recommend it except for the quote unquote offensive material. Right. I I was the eighties guy like as a boy, like I Phoebe Cates was a was a crush because gremlins and you're like, oh my gosh. And like if it like your desire is Phoebe Cates, just go see Fast Times. That's 
this movie, like, and it's just a bunch of just nonsense. It's boring. Like, there's nothing compelling here. There's the action sequences are just rounding up and running and scurrying and killing people. There's no interesting set pieces. The nudity is just like, okay. Uh, you don't feel you, you don't feel like ooh watching it. Like, there's no the leads have no chemistry, and the guy is like just. It goes from her being hunted by this older man to try to keep as a toy to having this teen guy just pressuring her for sex. And she doesn't buy buy into it until he gets bit by a scorpion and almost dies. And she's like, all right, we can we can have sex now. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's kind of a jerk. Yeah. Understandably. I mean, he's alone. They're probably going to die. And, you know, it's sort of a if not now, then when type situation. Right. But it's still not particularly, you know, enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to put, like, what was the fascination with this kind of story? Because there's the Blue Lagoon, and, the, like, Blue Lagoon was a phenomenon, and the, there's more knockoffs than this one that would come out, and... Hey. I think, I mean, I, I don't want to get canceled on our first episode, <laughs> but... <laughs> I think more people wanted to see that kind of story with that kind of actress Mm -hmm. than they would otherwise be willing to admit to themselves. And I think those kinds of movies gave a safe outlet for that kind of fantasy. Gotcha. And to a certain extent, and I say this with much, much less judgment, there are women and girls that have, you know, damsel in distress type fantasies, you know, it's a Harlequin romance novel to a certain extent. Yeah. And that's obviously a less, you know, I have less issue with that because whatever, that's a harmless fantasy. Granted, Um, granted, you know, things are different back in 82. Like we don't have the internet for people to go search for things. Um, That's a, that's a thing. I'm, I, I, and I'm lucky enough to have been, you know, born on this year and grown up to be introduced to Brooke Shields as a actor on like TV shows and stuff. And not this like, this thing that was obsessed, yeah, that was obsessed over like unhealthily back then. Is I, f- I found like I I never had to live through that and have that kind of like know that icky thing back then. Like because it was dealt with as like fine back then, right? It was just like oh, it's that Brooke Shields. Uh, it's like yes ah. and no. I mean, I, I it's 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 and again, since I was like younger than her at that time, I certainly yeah. didn't feel guilty about looking sideways at the you know right. Levi's ads, right? But yeah, I mean, it, 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 it certainly was something that, you know, the lust that dare not speak its name. Right. Yeah, it, that's, yeah, kind of was a forbidden and, young love. You know, and, you know, obviously it's the same thing with, you know, pop stars, you know, the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know, they, 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 you know, very, you know, we're allowed to secretly shush, shush, admit that we want to bone Britney Spears. But as soon as she starts exerting her own sexuality, then that's too much and she's taboo. Right. The Olsen twins of the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, you want to ask why people were interested in that. It's the reason you think people are interested in that. Right. It's, it's, this is a perfect capsule of like something that went on the area that people don't want to remember. That's kind of gone forgotten, but it was there. Um, because I, I remember because going to the video store back in the day is like, you see a wall of history when you go through the catalog section. And I remember you would see these kind of movies, like all like two young couples, like holding hands on the beach, laying together on the beach, doing something, you know, it's like, 
Well, I get. I mean, even something like you know Drew Barrymore's Poison Ivy films. Right. You thought she was adorable in E.T., but now she's. You've been waiting like, for this moment. Yeah. I'm trying to think how I could say this without getting. Uh, yes. Now she's hot. That's yeah. A G-rated way of saying that. I remember something very insightful that Daniel Radcliffe said in an interview, you know, a while back. You know, it, somebody had asked him if it felt weird when he had reached an age where people were noticing that he was a handsome and attractive young man. Mm -hmm. And he basically said, it was like when Emma Watson turned like whatever, you guys didn't pause 10 seconds before turning her into a lust object. Right. Heavily paraphrased, but you get the idea. Right. Yeah. And my thing about that has always been like, look, lust after what you lost after, but just don't use an excuse to treat people like crap. But anyway, bad movie, not worth seeing even for the thirst factor. Yep. It's never made it to Blu-ray or DVD and somebody probably doesn't want it ever to. So <laughs> you can find it if you look for it, but yeah, just don't waste your time. And it's not in good quality either. So don't waste no. your time. Don't waste your time. No way. <laughs> let's let's see how the box office did. Did any of these three films make a dent in, in the box office? So I'll move over to Scott for the 1982 May 7th through 9th box office report. I think I, oh yes, the top film, speaking of teenage horniness, <laughs> the top film for the weekend in its eighth week of release was Porky's, 20th Century Fox's R-rated young boys on the prowl smash hits, directed by Bob Clark, mm -hmm. who indirectly inspired a lot of modern pop culture without getting much credit for it, right. between Porky's, A Christmas Story, and uh, Black Christmas. Right. That film made $3.39 million, dropping just 21% from its seventh weekend for a end of eight weekend total of $72 million. Mm. Uh, it would eventually end with approximately $105 million domestic. I don't have the inflation adjusted on right here because box office mojo doesn't make that easy for you anymore. The second place movie is Paradise, which opened with $2.8 million. It would went on to make $5.58 million. Uh, it was not a hit. And then you have, <laughs> even by 1980 standards, it's not a hit. It was produced, it was distributed by a company named Embassy Pictures, which does not exist. Uh, I bring this up because if you look at the top 10, the rest of the companies, 20th Century Fox, Columbia, MGM, Paramount, <laughs> Universal, Warner Brothers, they do exist in some form or another. Still, okay. still Let's see. And then you had the Sword and the Sorcerer which uh, had $9.6 after 17 days, after a $2.6 million third weekend gross. Chariots of Fire in fourth place with $1.75 going up 5% after 33 weekends in theaters. <sighs> the film would eventually win Best Picture. I think it already won Best Picture at the, 1980, at the 1982 Academy Awards for the best film of 1981, beating mm -hmm. out such films as Raiders of the Lost Ark and Warren Beatty's Reds. I love Raiders as much as everybody, but I would have voted for Reds. Yeah, That's Reds is good. I just revisited the Oscar to, uh... And other than that, you know, it's basically a bunch of films that barely cracked a million dollars. On Golden <laughs> Pond is in eighth place with 1.1 million after 23 weeks in theaters. Uh, that Henry Fonda and Jane Fonda father-daughter melodrama would make $119 million in domestic grosses, which is spitball about $450 million domestic in inflation adjusted you know, grosses. I'll tell you, here's a, here's an indictment on paradise. The one we talked about, I'd rather watch on golden pond again than paradise. 
That's it. That's a good movie. Uh, I'm not a fan. Um, fair <laughs> enough. It's better than Paradise. It is better than Paradise. Yeah, and you know, Quest for Fire, the tar- one of the one of many Tarzan movies that nobody actually saw. Tarzan's one of those characters that gets to be remade because it's in uh, public domain, mm-hmm. but with very few exceptions, nobody ever shows up. Gotcha. There's uh, a was it, number nine was Death Trap. That's a yes. That's a popular movie with Michael. Is that the Chris Lee Michael Caine one? Was uh, Michael, Christopher Reeve? Christopher Reeve, Reeve. Christopher Reeve yes. Michael Caine one. Yeah, that's a popular. I like one. that film. Mm-hmm. In eleventh place was Richard Pryor's Live on the Sunset Strip. Which was I was that the one after he set himself on fire, or was that the one after you? After because I know he did one special after. I should have looked this up, and I. Well, I think the, isn't live in the Sunset Strip. He's like holding his foot, like like he's stepping on fire. Possibly. Is that the poster for it? Yeah, I think so. Anyway, for those who don't know, Richard Pryor had a drug problem for part of his life, and he was freebasing cocaine, and he set himself on fire. Uh, it was a very serious accident. Obviously, you know he survived and. Mm-hmm. It made a hell of a comedy special when he eventually started talking about it. And that's pretty much, yeah, there's no other weird trivia really in the top 10 this weekend. Yeah. It's, uh, there'll be more next week. Yeah. It just goes, it'll, it'll start filtering out with these these movies that are getting released. Because, yeah, the call before the storm usually has very little to offer in terms of big movies because no, no one wants to open right before the first huge mega summer movie. Right. Uh, yeah, there's usually like a uh, like a big sc- uh, spring movie or two, and that's about uh, all she wrote back then. And there's one little factor that we didn't really touch on yet that we I'll touch on right now in case we don't mention it further. But re-releases were a big thing because this summer you're yes. going to see a re-release of Raiders, you're going to see a re-release of Star Wars, and I think there's like a Disney cartoon that gets re-released this summer. But those are a big factor, and those would place in the box office top ten when they come out. Raiders obviously getting re-released because the next year would be, oh no, Temple of Doom would be in two years, but um, yes. probably going into production at the time to throw on there. And you can always add a couple more bucks on it because home video wasn't that big back then. So. Yeah. I mean, up until I think the first price to buy cassette was Star Trek, the wrath of Khan for 40 bucks in 1982 right. slash 1983. I don't, I don't know when it actually came out. But I'm sure we will talk about that film eventually. Oh, we might. We might talk uh, about that one. In June. Yes. Spoiler. It June! It broke the opening weekend record. Oh. Uh, the movie that it beat, Star Trek The Motion Picture, which broke the opening weekend record in 1979. Hmm. There we go. That's uh, some spoilers of what's to come. Hey, everybody. Brandon here. Before we head to the sign-out, portion of the episode i wanted to let you know i finally did it started a patreon page for the show so you can check that out it's at patreon.com slash brandon peters show i felt the summer of 82 at 40 was good a time as any to start this up build some excitement i appreciate anything you do for it even if you don't it's up there just to have i've been asked by people in the past this isn't a well uh, people are saying thing. It's people have asked me. They want to support me. I've always felt kind of weird and uncomfortable about it, but now's the time to do it. Summer of eighty two at forty has been an experience. It's been a great experience, but one one where I'm like, you know what? I should start a Patreon for this. There's no tears to it. It's whatever you feel. Donate. I'm grateful. I will set goals. Goals are fun, right? First one is up. 
it's $20 goal. So if I can hit $20 per month, Scott and I are going to do an epilogue episode of the Summer of 82 at 40, where we talk about Porky's and the Sword and the Sorcerer. Two movies were like, one I haven't seen in a long time, one I hadn't seen. And they're going to be mentioned quite a bit down the road here because they stay in the box office top 10 for a bit, which surprises both of us. But We'll cover them. So patreon.com slash Brad Peters Show. It's up. You don't have to donate. Don't feel guilty if you don't. The show is always going to be free to you to listen to. I'm never going to keep episodes from anybody or have exclusive ones. That's not my game. I want everyone to hear my show. If I record stuff, I'm not a big deal. <laughs> I don't uh, I don't want to keep things from people restrict or exclusive things. I want people to hear it. If I put the work in, I want it out there. So thank you in advance. Patreon.com slash Brandon Peters Show. I hope you're enjoying Summer 82. Back to me and Scott from the past. And we're going to take things out and prep you for next week. Thanks. That wraps us up for this weekend of, of May. Uh, Scott, thank you for joining me. Uh, before we head out, uh, let people know where they can keep up with you. Uh, Forbes.com, the ticket booth. Just Google basically Forbes.com, the ticket booth, Scott Mendelson. I'm on Twitter at Scott Mendelson, and that's basically it. And that's where you can get the current box office, not this yes. retro stuff that we got going on here. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at braid 4 uhd Scott and I will be back next week, which sees Susan George haunted by a ghost in Tokyo, Sean Connery trying out some comedic chops, and a landmark fantasy film that launches a bodybuilder into movie stardom. That and more as we continue on the second weekend of the summer of 1982. Until then, stay film positive. The summer of 82 with Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. The Summer of 82 at 40 and News of the Moment themes by Press Maxson. Additional information on this and other episodes at thebrandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at thebrandonpetershow.com. show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.